también grabar Cudillas, ¿ok? Ok, me grababa Cudillas, ¿eh? Thank you for taking the time to check out the Insight Myanmar podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd be very grateful if you would consider rating, reviewing, and or sharing this podcast. Every little bit of feedback helps. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Insight Myanmar podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If our feed is not in your podcast player, please let us know and we'll assure it can be offered there. pleased on this edition of Inside Myanmar to be welcoming Soya Min. Uh, so Soya Min, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So like so many of us, especially in Myanmar, your life was so different pre-coup, pre-pandemic. And I understand that you had varied roles as a travel agent, a recording artist, event organizer. Can you tell us a little bit about those activities and where you were hoping to go before the world started closing in with the pandemic and then the coup? All right. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, for uh, in tr- as a travel agent, I work uh, as for like five to six years, uh, and and then uh, I I wasn't really a recording artist. I switched to uh, I. Um, I tried. I wanted to do events, uh, you know, like uh, e- those uh, EDM events. And then, uh, while I was in travel industry, uh, I wanted to uh, that uh, kind of uh, events are related to you know uh, traveling and stuff, right? So I I uh, I, I gained more interested in that, and I wanted to do something uh, uh, in that event industry. And then I found some, uh, you know, artists, and then I started working with them. I tried to promote shows, and then I become a like a like a artist manager, and also uh, I started doing. Uh, we started doing. Uh, uh, how do you say? Um, uh, like a production house, and and then I I always have a. a how to say? I, I'm always uh, interested in music business uh, since I was young. My dream was to have my own studio since like tenth or like yeah, I think around tenth grade or after tenth grade. I I always told my friends that oh, I one day I wanted my own uh, recording studio and stuff. So 
uh, when I have the chance to do uh, those things, I I uh, move towards it. And it was uh, I started doing those things back in like uh, 2018, 17, 18. Yeah, end of 17, around there. Started uh, working with the artists and become, uh, and then I aim to have my own record label, and we were, we were go going in that direction before the coup. Uh, even even in the uh, uh, pandemic, uh, we uh, how to say uh, we we uh, found ways we find uh, ways to survive through it, and. When the coup happens, I know it. Entertainment industry is, uh, how do you say, without, uh, without people having uh, um, uh, ease of their mind or having uh, extra uh, income to spend on entertainment, uh, our industry is, you know, it will be the uh, propaganda uh, for the, you know, for for the military government so uh, will become the propaganda machine for the uh you know a military government so i don't uh and then i wanted to help people so that's why i um and i'm i'm always helping people you know giving advice listening to people because i have like uh i'm always helping uh, a lot of uh young artists and I'm always listening and I'm always like, you know, uh, giving advice. That's why. And then, uh, so that's, that's when I started, uh, interested in psychology because, you know, uh, when I deal with a lot of these young artists and other people, I talk, uh, to a lot of people that I find like, okay, the, why, why people have a different, uh, view, different perspective, different thinking for, uh, same, uh, events and same, uh, how do you say, same stimulation from outside. But you know, it's the same event, but people have different perspective. And then I, that's why I started to interested in psychology. And then uh, when coup happened, I switch. Uh, I, uh, I wanted to help people, but I, to be honest, I with for many reasons I couldn't join. You know, uh. I joined protesting, like going out in the street in the first uh, few weeks, but uh, for various reasons, I couldn't like join PDF or stuff like that. So I wanted to help people uh, and make a, uh, how do you say, I want to make a difference, you know? So that's why I uh, started doing, uh, by taking courses in mental health counseling and then yeah. Also, with my friends, I founded uh, the Tega Duka uh, Mental Health Counseling Service. Yeah. So that's a lot there. So let's go into some of those different aspects that you bring up. And <clears throat> when you talk about some of the work you were doing in recording, it's certainly multifaceted and in, uh, in, in, in bringing voices, music, entertainment, uh, information out on recording. And uh, that being said, I know that appearing on a podcast like this is is no new, no new thing for you. Uh, in fact, you have your own podcast platform. It's called Opinions and Thoughts. 
And yeah. on that, you interview this wide range of guests. And I should mention, this is in Burmese language. Uh, yeah. What made you want to start a podcast? And actually, when did you start? Was it was it uh, before the coup, during the pandemic, or was it before? During the pandemic. During the pandemic, yeah. What, uh, okay, uh, this might sound cliche or something. Uh, I During pandemic, I watched, I would listen to a lot of, like, uh, that, that was so, uh, how to say, I have a lot of free time during the pandemic because uh, no events, nothing, no touring, no nothing, right? So um, I just, I'm just at home thinking well, what to do next and, uh, you know, looking for, uh, you know, uh, how to say, uh, looking for new stuff to read, new stuff to learn through the internet. And then uh once i go through youtube like lectures and talks and stuff stuff like that i first i found okay sam harris podcast and then and and then i found jordan peterson and then i found joe rogan you know um and also uh, other stuff uh, other comedic uh, uh, like comedy podcasts and through youtube so uh yeah that's that's good. That's what gives me the mm, motivation to start my own podcast. And then, because I thought, oh, okay, like uh, this is a some kind of new thing, you know. And uh, and at that time, uh, like the uh, uh, the biggest one was Joe Rogan. I think he was getting millions of views on YouTube and stuff like that. So um, I I wanted to start my own because uh, I also have these, uh, you know. How to say, oh, this is cool, you know, we can exchange ideas and talk freely and it doesn't have to be like a, you know, formal talk show or anything. It just, uh, you can express freely and, you know, and it's also a long form conversation. All the, all the other, you know, uh, interviews and stuff are more, more like a scripted and uh, they have like a uh, time limit, you know. Uh, that's why I started my own podcast because I have uh, I, I have a lot of connections, you know, both in uh, business uh, side, also you know the uh, artist people. So that's why I started my own thing. Yeah, and that because literally I have nothing else to do. I can. <laughs> that's that's the only uh, okay. This mm, this is what yeah. I can do with like you know, just sit. Even if there is no guest, I can like. Go on rent and you know, first mm-hmm. of my uh, my two first two episodes was it was just me uh, talking about movies, you know, uh, just like that, yeah. Mm. Right, that's that's really interesting. I think we share a love. Uh, both of us probably share a love of appreciating podcasts as a listener and liking it so much as as a consumer that we both went on to look at how we can actually be on the other side. Uh, what I'm curious about though is podcasting in Myanmar. And I, of course, I've had a podcast in Myanmar also pre-coup, pre-pandemic as well, uh, although mine was in, in English. And so it was, it, was, uh, it was hitting a slightly different audience. Yours is in Burmese language. So can you tell us a bit about what's the status, what's the state of podcasting in Myanmar, and I would I would put a, a a frame on it of like the last two years because I think the pandemic and the coup have both impacted local industries and life patterns in such tremendous ways. Uh, 
I don't know about other podcast uh, creators. Uh, how how are they doing on it? But for me, um, most of my listeners are not from uh, not local. You know, not from Myanmar. Um, Myanmar is second, uh, I guess. In and first is all yeah, of course, United States. Uh, uh, listenerships. Uh, uh, how to say? Uh, there are a lot of like people play, uh, start play, and uh, through the analytics of you know uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, what I notice is uh, if it's like too long, uh, the they don't finish it. Uh, most of the listeners don't finish it. Like fifteen minutes to twenty minutes, that's the uh, highest uh, retention rate. That's that that's what that is what I see, and then. I uh, I I'm not sure is there is a lot of people listening to podcasts right now because, uh, I think most of my target audience is uh, having a lot of some maybe don't have uh, uh internet connections anymore or some are in the you know uh, some are some are taking arms because uh, what I targeted was young young people you know like twenty. Thirty-five. That's that. That was my uh, intended uh, target audience. So most of them are now. Maybe some are, uh, you know, as I met, as I said before, maybe in the uh, areas that don't have like a good connection to internet, or some are in the uh, PDF and stuff. You know, uh, yeah, and yeah, most of the my listeners are from United States. That's 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 the data show. Yeah, I don't know. Now I see a lot of creators are starting their own because, uh, as you know, uh, after the coup, uh, Jabal started. You know, Jabal, the famous singer from uh, Big Bang uh, Band, mm-hmm. he started right, his right. own. He started his own podcast, and uh, when he started, there was a bump, and then after that, I don't see any, uh, much changes. But on YouTube, a lot of my videos are now having more views uh, within last two two months. Yeah. Mm, so another interesting thing about podcasts is they're, they're just a different form of media. And even though they are unscripted, they could be casual, it could be a 18-year-old kid just talking in his basement about video games. Even if it's that, it, it's still media. It's some form of media. And this is especially mm-hmm. interesting when you look at Myanmar today where the conventional forms of media are under so much duress. There, there has been so much uh, pressure and terror on those actual journalists from the local media, as well as uh, local uh, staff members of international media trying to report on the story. And so as we look at the difference between this kind of conventional media and the potential role that podcasts could be playing as a more modern, lighter, perhaps even safer form of media, uh, depending on how it's uh, administered, it, it, I think it's interesting to look at the the difference between what uh, a more traditional form of media can do and what and the role that podcasts can play. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Uh, okay, in the in the United States or other like Western countries, I think podcasts like replace radio and you know other other stuff. Uh, but in our country, I think. Um, people are not used to it because 
uh, this is just two people talking, you know, and they are sharing stories, sharing experiences, sharing their opinions and stuff like that. So, uh, people are not really used to it. They are just okay. This is what is this? Uh, they are still new to this, and yeah, a lot of like uh, who have exposure to uh, you know uh, the big podcast platforms like uh, uh, in other countries. They are used to well, they know what it is, but our in our country, most of them like what is this? Why? Why should I listen to just two people talking, or maybe one people just talking? You know, uh, why why can't I just listen to some audio book, or why can't I just listen to some, uh, you know, uh, some monks, uh, you know, uh, how to say, uh, explaining the uh, uh, dhamma, uh, stuff like that. So people are like still testing it and. Uh, for the for conventional media, uh, people are not consuming it at all. I think that's what I see. They are just using Facebook. They're just watching Facebook videos, TikTok videos. I think it will take a little more, like one, maybe one or two more years to get the local uh, audience to get uh, accustomed to this kind of media or this kind of format. Yeah, that's what I think. We, um, yeah, yeah, that's my, that, that's my question. Actually, what what do you think it will take? What I, I think that any media and any culture kind of has a turning point where a critical mass, even if it's a small number, just start to see like, oh, this this media can do this. Oh, I can consume it this way, and I can I can gain this from being able to 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 take that media in. So, what do you think it it will take to turn the corner in the podcasting industry in Myanmar where suddenly not not that it's going to be consumed by everyone. It's not consumed by everyone in America. There's many Americans who've never listened to a podcast, but there there can be some kind of critical turn where it goes from, you know, a very small listenership to something a bit more sizable. So, what what do you think uh what do you think might could could bring that mm. shift where it could bring that interest and make it something that starts to inform the public discourse and people start to there there start to be kind of brands and personalities and topics that um, some percentage a little higher than now start to consume and be interested in. Yeah, I think uh, we need more quality content on the podcasting side also because uh, there's only a few like. Uh, how to say? Uh, there's only like it's only a handful, you know. Not, not there's n- not uh podcasts are like not like me regularly putting out stuff, you know. Uh, some uh like do two or three episodes and then they just uh disappear for a few months and then they came back. What you have to do is you have to uh, on the creator side you have to believe in it and like. Just keep putting out more content, more quality content, more. Yeah, just try to uh, put put out more and with good quality, of course. I think that will change. Uh, that will change it, and also, uh, how do you say? Uh, a little bit more personalities and and you know, like uh. Doing other people podcasts, uh, like me doing your podcast, like and you doing mine, mm-hmm. those kind of like uh, cross, yeah, 
that kind of thing、uh, has to grow naturally. And they oh, when they say oh, there's a community there, uh, what commu, uh, what are they talking about?、Mm. You know, and if they if they find、mm-hmm. oh, these people are communicating with each other and there's、uh, like、uh, going across the、uh, platforms and topics and uh stuff like that happens, and it will get more attraction, and then people are people will be more curious. I think that's. That's good. That's need to happen. That's that's why I try to reach out a lot of other podcasts, and then、uh, mm. I'm always like asking, "Yo,、mm-hmm. yo, can I be on your?" You can be. That's that's what I'm trying to do. You know. Yeah, that's great, and I, I appreciate you reaching out as well with that. And I think that、um, I, I do think that there's a certain kind of excitement in the potential of a, a, a podcast industry. This is what I was first thinking of. Is, is this is the term that came to my mind initially? Is this kind of this nascent Burmese podcast industry that can take off in both Burmese and English, that is able to bring this kind of media and platform. Concerning issues related to Myanmar, and I think one of the things I, one of the reasons why it's so important to me, is I think that there's this real misconception going back many decades of a very simplistic, one-dimensional story of what Myanmar is and who the Burmese people are. And I think podcasts have the ability to break down that narrative and to be able to expose and expand on how colorful and dynamic and interesting so many aspects of Myanmar culture are, depending on the directions that you go.、Um, as I've thought about this further, I think the indus- a podcast industry is not quite the word I'd use. A word that's come to mind since has been ecosystem. That there there needs to be a kind of podcast ecosystem that's developed、mm-hmm. where. There are,、um, as you mentioned, there there are different、uh, different podcasts that are doing different things, and I think that's really key. No one is trying to copy what someone else is doing and just trying to do the same thing. But every the the, the style, the personality, the topics, the guests, the the dynamic, the feel, all of that is very unique and specialized to what they're trying to do. And I think that. If there、uh, a further ecosystem developing of different podcasters appearing on other platforms, sharing guests, sharing resources, promotions, audience, all of that, I think that's a chance of lifting the whole industry,、uh, if you want to call it that, the whole the whole ecosystem off. Um, where it's at now, and it can、um, whether it's in Burmese or English. You know, if it's in Burmese, then it's doing a great job of being able to inform the conversation among a local audience and expand and provide more nuance and detail and color. If it's in another language and not Burmese, English or 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 some、um, some other language outside the country, then it's it's、yeah. doing a service of being able to. To bring and share stories to people that would not normally have access, and to characters and anecdotes and history that those interested in the country, living outside and being foreigners, can、uh, start to learn and appreciate to a deeper level. So I, I just think there's so much potentiality and good that can be done from this this ecosystem starting to support itself and rise up. Yeah, that's yeah, that is. Uh, uh, I agree with that. Uh, uh, That's,、uh, but you know,、um, I'm not、uh, saying most of the most of you know、uh, Burmese people are a little bit、uh, shy. That's、uh, maybe that's yeah, yeah, that's the word you can describe it because、uh, podcasting is like、uh, oh, if I what if I say something wrong, you know what?、Uh, because、mm-hmm. even when I started,、uh, I have to, you know even the celebrities that I invited over of.、Uh, uh, 
author or writers they know uh they know they know what they are talking you know and then they they don't have problem like uh having a mm. conversation but some artists and some mm-hmm. uh personalities they have like oh what if i say something wrong what if i do you know i i, I mean it's just relax you know it, it, it's kind of uh, yeah. like uh, how to say um uh maybe you have to sh- uh show your true self you know some some people some celebrities yeah. i'm not saying i'm not saying not everyone but some celebrities are uh, uh they they put on a facade you know they put on an image uh for their audience so when when sure. when when i introduce this kind of uh conversation type of you know back and forth and uh, you know talking about things and you know uh they find it uh, they they find it a little bit maybe intimate intimidating or yeah uh you know and some some are like oh uh even not 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 the celebrity one the just normal people and who, who I find interesting or who I find if they have uh who 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 whom I think they have something to share uh I, when I ask them to do my podcast or do my podcast Uh, they are just like oh i don't i i don't want to like share this or i don't want to talk about mm. it you know uh people need to be a little bit more open also you know uh uh yeah uh, uh mo- they they afraid they will be judged for for what for speaking their mind you know uh i find it a little uh i don't i don't like it because if you are like if you come from a place of honesty and you know uh people will forgive you i think that's even if you make a mistake you know? yeah that's that's really interesting i um as you're saying this some thoughts are coming to mind one is that the the first podcast i got into this was actually before podcast existed it's since become a podcast but it was a radio show then it was a uh, fresh air with terry gross by npr and I, i just fell in love with it i had never to this day i'm i'm not alone in saying i think she is the greatest interviewer that's ever lived in in what she's able to do but one of the things i i really liked when i started listening and her interviews are about 45 minutes long and she would have all kinds of celebrities on and uh not not just scholars and political leaders but also cele- actors athletes and one of the things i found was that because her interviews were long enough for 45 minutes and because her questions were were in depth and she gave space and time for people to answer the the person that came on kind of had to reveal themselves and and they couldn't just do sound bites they couldn't just give certain impressions of the the way they want to appear but it went under that and sometimes you you'd find celebrities that weren't really prepared for that and after 10 or 15 minutes they they had run through their normal way of of giving impressions of how they want to be seen and then they realized they they ran out of those and they had to to move on to something more authentic and that just that was one of the early things that really intrigued and inspired me to see how long form interviews would necessarily dig at being able to to get into this more nuanced content that conventional media of you know news hours or radio shows or 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 newspapers just gave those those sound bites which could be so carefully uh, cultivated but once you get past a 15 minute mark in an interview and especially once you get past an hour mark you you start to reveal who you really are and um, yeah. and what comes out um and, and the second thing that I was thinking when I was listening hearing what you were saying is I was thinking of uh, Mark Maron's um 
WTF podcast. And that's a pod. He also has many celebrities on. He had Obama on during his presidency, uh, even though he records it literally like in his garage in suburban Los Angeles. And, and he literally has like celebrities like driving out to like his garage to record these podcasts. But his podcasts are like so emotional and like just digging into like complexes and personal problems and failures and struggles and addiction and so much of that. And it's become kind of a known thing that if you're a celebrity that Go, that if you if you decide to go on his show, you're going to talk about your shit. You're going to talk about your past. It's going to be kind of like a mm. therapy session. And, yeah. and that's just people know what they're getting into. And I think that plays into what you were saying about um, um, trying to have to bring people on to uh, to have some real talk is that in some ways, like both Terry Gross and Mark Maron, they um, they incentivize their guests to show, like, if you want to come on here, this is the kind of show we do. This is the expectation. You are, no one is going to go on Mark Maron's show and expect to not talk about, talk about their childhood and their complexes. It just won't happen. Like, it just won't be a good interview because that's what his platform is. And when I set up my platform um, before the pandemic, before the coup, uh, but this uh, motivation has been consistent since then, that was a real priority for me. I wanted to be known as a platform where I would be fair, I would I would take the time to understand the issues, we would be able to explore from different sides, we would have some real vulnerable, intimate kind of talk about to whatever degree the person wanted to bring that out to, to, to be able to have a deeper understanding. And so I think that uh, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying about this tendency of Burmese society. And in some ways, one of the, the questions, the counter questions I would have is to what degree has this been changed since the coup? Because I've I've certainly seen this tendency start to be shifted and this kind yeah. of care in how we talk and what we say and I don't want to talk above my station and I, I don't want to say something that's beyond what's appropriate for who I am and my place and role in this world. I think that those tendencies uh, to, to, to a large degree have been wiped away and people are, as people realize, they're in an end game of a life or death struggle that the, the lid is kind of off and people are, whether they're talking about, you know, Siddhu Seda or, um, or, or, or other celebrities or, or generals that are, are in positions of power that they're, they're just freely dispensing their opinions. You know, 21 year old kids with no standing are just expressing how they feel about different things that it, to some degree that, that lid is kind of off. And I, we, I think we see that cultural tendency kind of shifting before our eyes. So anyway, there's a lot there. I guess the question I would leave you with is this sense of like where, um, where, where are we at at this moment in Burmese society and where podcasting could fit in? How could the medium of podcasting in this kind of shifting, changing ground start to play a role where, and I understand these are different societies, but especially at this time where when you look at those examples of the some of the, the ways that pod, different podcasts can operate in the American context, can there be a way to reward and incentivize that kind of sharing, even when the sharing doesn't make you look good, you know, even when you're being so vulnerable that you're admitting to, to different, um, you, you know, you're not a, you're not this perfect polished person, but I think in many ways, that's what audiences crave that kind of authenticity of seeing who these people really are rather than the person that they're, they're aspiring to be in polishing themselves. So what, what are your thoughts on all that? Um, yeah, it's shifting and, um, uh, how, but it also depends on the audience. Uh, because uh, now 
most of the whole country is uh, going through misery and you know uh, hardships and everything. So sometimes they, when they consume media, they they want some entertainment, I guess. Uh, the white or maybe some just makes them forget their hardships and you know problems and stuff. So uh, it's. Grow in sudden, how to say, sudden um, uh, demographics that you know, uh, according to age, you know, education levels and stuff like that. But I, th- I still think most people who's uh, who's using internet or using social media or other uh, form, uh, consuming other forms of media, uh, they still, they just, most of them still want to like to to laugh or you know to forget about the real world so uh it's a bit uh it's growing but not as much on uh as fast as i would love i would want to be because if if uh if coop didn't happen uh, i'm sure i'm sure podcasting will be like growing like a uh i don't know wildflower during this time I think because of the coup, it's it's shifted because uh, m- now most uh, podcasts are like motivation uh, or you know or politics, um, focusing on those kind of stuff. Uh, not a lot of uh, uh, stuff on like uh, creatives or uh, you know other other topics. You know um, now. Is mostly congested in in politics and news, uh, motivation and those kind of stuff. That's what I think. Yeah. Mm, and how about your own particular podcast? You you started this during the pandemic, and then the coup hit. Uh, I think when the coup happened, every platform, whether you were selling food or clothing or um, songs or, or whatever else, whatever the yeah. platform was, I think everyone had to suddenly look at, well, well, how can my platform and my background skills now play a role and, and meet this moment in, in, in a way that I can, uh, I can, I can use these, um, this place and this, this background to be able to support the democratic movement. And so as the coup hit and, um, and, and the democratic resistance started to build up and be formed in Myanmar, what kinds of shifts or transformations did you make to your own podcast platform? Yeah, I, I, I stopped for a while and, and then I, when I started, yeah, I tried to, uh, bring on more guests that are more from political background and stuff. Uh, because uh, at that time, I think uh, people need need to hear uh, what... Uh, because uh, at that time, on, on the mainstream, like on the mainstream uh, conventional media or traditional media, uh, even on Facebook, right, all the posts are from uh, just uh, hardline uh, NLD supporters or uh, anti all, all everything is anti uh, hunter right and uh, other side is pro military only two sides but I try to bring in people who have more of like a, like you know that's criticizing the NUG and other stuff uh, you know because I wanted to show the people that sometimes uh 
it is true that Honda uh, is our uh, main target, but you can't. You you need to remember uh, what uh, what politics is. You know what politicians are thinking, and uh, you know the dirty works of politics. I don't want to get into it too much for here, but I I want to show there is some. Uh, something you have to. Some people are just like you know. Uh, how to say? Oh, I support uh, uh, NLD. I support NUG. But when we try to point out the mistakes, uh, they are all. Uh, when we have different opinions about what they are doing, uh, those people are getting uh, like cyber bully or you know. Uh, Label as Allah and stuff. So I try to uh, bring in nuance. That's that's what I try to do doing it. And then now, after one year of doing those kind of stuff, I, I'm a little bit back to uh, more of a diversified uh, guest. Uh, I try to talk to uh, uh, how to say. Um, People that writes about science and physics and stuff on uh, Facebook, and also try to interview more artists. Yeah, that's now I'm bit back to what I started uh, before the coup. Yeah, that's 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 the changes I made, and uh, and I a bit back to. But I I'll be more focused on political issues, like sixty percent and all other stuff, or only forty percent. Yeah, that's what that's what I. When the coup hit, all the all my everything was hundred percent like for for this uh, politics. Uh, yeah, mm, that's really interesting, and I think that the you talk about the the need for nuance that it's not just a a one dimensional NLD versus. Uh, Tamada, but but there's these deeper things to look at, and I think that's also really the the value of what a long form podcast discussion brings is that you're able to have that nuance in whatever direction and whatever kind of guest you want to go with, and take the time necessary to explore those matters. And I, I appreciate the shift you made. I think it's been similar for me. At the time the coup hit, we had a dozen episodes that were in various stages of production. We had a few episodes, some really good ones that were. Uh, that were finished and were ready to be released. But when the coup happened, we just shelved everything and we we went into trying to tell those stories as urgently as possible. And we've also reached a point a year into this where I think the telling the stories about what's at, what's happening on the ground among leadership, different analyses, those are definitely things we're going to pursue and they're they're really going to be the uh, the, uh, the 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 main subject matter that we carry over, um, I would put it. Well, I don't know what the percentage is because we're just starting to kind of balance it out. But but certainly it would be a, a very high percentage. But I'm also yeah. realizing that all of these, just as you mentioned, your your other background and interest is science. For me, it's been meditation and Buddhism and and spiritual practice. And uh, we, all of these interviews, dozens of interviews that we had before February 1st in different stages of production, we're now starting to roll those out again and to 
um, to, and I realized that it, it, that balance is needed. And we, I've recorded a special introduction of those interviews saying that this, it, it's important to remember that Myanmar is not just a place where these bad things are happening, but it's this diverse society and history where there's so much else to explore. And the, the, the gift and the teaching of meditation is something that has, has inspired the world over in the last generation. And so to be able to, to go back into those and balance it out while also in, in the introduction also referencing that this is, uh, this is not meant to be an escape. It's not meant to be a spiritual bypass of avoiding the news and that we need to keep this in our minds and hearts and be aware, but it, it's a way to, to balance it. So that's not the only thing that we're doing. Um, so, so that's, that's interesting with, uh, what, what you're pursuing as well. Um, I, I'm wondering also in, in the interviews that you've done, all the, the guests and the topics that you've covered, what, what particularly stands out? What, what's, what's a, a, what would be an example of a guest or a topic where, uh, you, you learn something really surprising or you, um, um, some, some level of understanding developed that was very exciting in the podcast format. What, what's a memory of a past episode you've done that, uh, that, that, that you think really, uh, really highlights the work you're trying to do? Um, okay. Uh, there was one episode where, which I did with, uh, Miu Jo Myang. He's a famous, uh, singer. And record producer from Myanmar. Maybe you, you have heard of him. Um, he and I talked about uh, this, uh, how to say, uh, other beings, you know, ET, uh, UFO. And that episode uh, is very interesting. I, I've never, uh, how to say, met a person that's, uh, that I think. Um, most, that's my impression. Maybe I, I was wrong because I always thought of like celebrities and you know singers and actors like oh they they are just uh, I I don't want to shit on people but uh, for me well uh, when I uh, I thought uh, they they only care about uh, their arts and their audience mm. and what they what they uh, what they put out uh, but when I talk to him he he has a lot of uh, real actual knowledge of how these things and he he talked about a lot of stuff and then and that's when i uh understand okay may uh because um most of the artists before him i talked to they just know their stuff but when when they step out of you know what uh, what they are uh, what they are uh, creating what they are doing with this with their life and uh and they don't really have a different perspective like oh okay this uh i i don't want to use like um uh, how to say the conspiracy theories but uh, i'm i'm interested in more like those science stuff and you know ufo and uh how the wall actually works uh, he he has he has the same interest like uh, okay these people they are like they may be a shadow government but that's kind of a conspiracy topics but when when you actually look at all the things that happen during like this two or three years you 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 will get more suspicion like okay maybe some someone or some some hidden organization is doing some bad stuff to people that's more of the uh more mm. of like a <laughs> uh the 
like thought of strength that I usually mm. now I more tend to have. You know, seeing mm-hmm. all these, uh, you know, pandemic and all these, uh, vaccines, uh, stuff, all these stuff going on, and you know, so <laughs> yeah. But that 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 episode was really uh like uh uh. I feel like I wasn't alone, you know, mm. <laughs> because uh, wow. somebody have the uh, same like uh, same thinking, maybe you know, uh, same uh, same interpretation of some of the Buddhist thoughts, you know. Uh, uh, he also shared those kind of uh, uh, thinking. Uh, so uh, I and the last one I did just before uh, yesterday, I think. Uh, it it hasn't released, uh, and then from that podcast also I learned that. Uh, I know words have power, but when you, uh, some some people like really uh take, uh how to say it? some, you know the words democracy and federals are like really taboo for you know the military people you know, uh. So uh, from that episode, I learned that okay, there are ways that we can uh, exchange the same idea without using those words. You know, that's what what I learned. Uh, yeah, that's that was uh, that was really cool. I think yeah. Mm, that's great. So I know another topic that you're interested in, both personally, professionally, as well as on the podcast that you get into is mental health. Can you share how you became interested in the subject of mental health? Um, okay. Uh, psychology was the first uh, top subject that I interested uh, in because uh, as I mentioned in the, at the start of the podcast, you know, oh, I uh, talked to because uh, when you start uh, your talent management or you production, um, you talk to uh, these talents and they have their own issues, you know, and uh, uh, maybe you you already know this, but most of the artists, they have some kind of uh, issue. That's what I want to say, because uh, their creative force come from somewhere how to say maybe I don't want to say dark or pain, but yeah, a, something like a sadness is more more of a, a, a driving force in their creative process. And then I find it really fascinating. It's very interesting, you know, uh, uh, because uh, and then uh, I read a lot of stuff, and then I try to. Uh, uh, how to say uh, give advice and psychology was the main uh, uh, subject that I interested in when I start doing uh, talent management and everything and also when I doing uh, uh, you know making uh, uh, producing a music video or anything I read a lot of marketing books also marketing is kind of like a psychology you know it's just part of psychology because they, they explore what uh, makes humans uh, like uh, your product or your your song or whatever more you know uh, so um, yeah um, 
uh, that's why I, I was thinking, oh, okay, every marketing, everything, these human resource, it's really psychology. So, uh, and then I read psychology books, uh, I listened to psychology uh, podcasts, lectures uh, on YouTube. And then when pandemic hit, uh, 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 one of my friends, uh, she, she, uh, she's a doctor. And then she she knows that I'm interested in the uh, I wanted to help people. She she said, "Oh, you can volunteer uh, at uh, at this organization called Open Heart, and uh, they they are helping uh, traumatized uh, people from different backgrounds. So, and they they gave me uh, training, uh, psychological first aid training." And then, uh, yeah, from there I started more, get more into mental health, and 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 with my friend from uh, uh, from Singapore, we started our own uh, mental health health service uh, platform. Yeah, yeah, that's why I that's that's that is how I get into mental health, and yeah, M- mostly I'm I'm more interested in psychology that. It's very interesting because you you are interested in uh, Buddhism, right? Buddhism also teaches you a lot a lot about your uh, mind and how you think. You know, uh, that's why uh, I'm uh, I'm always interested in Buddhism and the uh, teachings of Buddha. So it's everything is related. It's it's in it's really uh, how to say. Uh, I, I I was a fan. Uh, I I I am a fan of stoicism. So everything is like you have to internal focus is more important than you focusing on you know uh, outside. That's that's why I have this uh, kind of huge interest in the field. Yeah. Mm, and uh, mental health in general, it's a sensitive subject anywhere in the world. I'm sure that Myanmar is no exception to that. Uh, how is mental health regarded in Myanmar, generally speaking? Uh, when you say mental health, they they think you have some kind of disorder, bloodness. How to say? They think you are just crazy. Uh, they mm-hmm. have the, 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 there's that stigma. Really, this that's very hard. Uh, you know, and people uh, think like, oh, having a therapist or have uh, seeing a counselor or those stuff. Uh, they think, oh, you can just talk to your friends, or you can just talk to your parents, or whatever. But uh, now people are getting to understand it and uh, how to take care of themselves. Uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, a lot of services and uh, other uh, a lot of uh, mental health services uh, have uh, popped up during COVID. Also. Uh, a coup, yeah. So there is a huge stigma, but uh, we are getting through. We are all all, uh, all the mental health uh, uh, community is trying to uh, give the message. It is okay, and you know, it's you don't have to be like have a disorder or crazy or really suicidal to go see a therapist or counselor. Uh, now people are getting the message. Uh, which is kind of the silver lining during this, you know, uh, this period. Yeah. 
Mm. And I was intrigued to hear in your interview on the podcast in Zagawine that you found it much more difficult for Burmese men to seek some kind of help <clears throat> help with mental issues than Burmese women. Why do you think that's so? Uh, we have this like, oh, yaoja, uh, how do you say it? It's like men are not supposed to cry or complain, you know, that kind of teaching from our parents and our society, man has to be tough, you know. So if life gets hard, you get through, you get, you bite through it. That's that's the mentality uh, as a Burmese uh, man have, uh, the society has. So, yeah, if you like, uh, if you cry, uh, like uh, if you're a boy and you cry a lot, they were just, oh, you, well, if you're a boy, you shouldn't cry, you know, the, the kind of, uh, messages are preventing the men from seeking help. Yeah. Mm, right. And so that's kind of tapping into this, um, these uh, gender roles and uh, societal, how society might create uh, certain uh, or encourage certain kind of roles from different genders that then people feel a pressure to conform to. And this boys don't cry is, would be an example of one of those kind of gender roles. And I think that in different countries and cultures, the, even the ideal form of what we would call masculinity or femininity mm-hmm. would, would differ according to those, those kinds of um, assumptions and and ideals of of those societies, and so within Burmese culture, and, and well, of course, Myanmar is a very diverse place. So you're you're a, uh, as I understand, a Bamar Buddhist, and yeah. in in looking specifically within the constructs of Burmese Buddhism, what how would you describe how the ideal form of masculinity is characterized in a Burmese Buddhist conception? Uh, I think mm, our society is more of a traditional society than Buddhist society. To be to be honest, that's that's what I feel because all those traditions are like put mixed with Buddhism to feel like you have to do follow those traditions. Actually, those are just traditions. Like oh, uh, men are not uh, women are not allowed in some places in some pagodas, you know, and that, that's, uh, you, uh, you, the, the, Seattle also said those are just tradition, not, not the teachings of Buddhism, you know, uh, right. I, absolutely. I think, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I think more it's, it's not about the religion. It's about the traditions that we have and the, the teachings, the history books that we have written, you know, uh, the the teachings in the schools and the the the, the more of a tradition. Uh, on if you if you if I have to blame it, I I will blame more on the traditions and the teaching and the you know the how do you say the stories that we spread through our generation through words. You know, not 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 just written down history, just with the words, uh, stories. You know, oh. Sudden, sudden uh, king, sudden hero, sudden uh, man in the past uh, act this way, so you have to act this way. That's that kind. Yeah, I think that's more of it, and then then on the 
on the on the religion of Buddhism, because if you if you are really a if you really deep in dive into Buddhism, there's no there's no uh there's no like uh gender and maybe because it was back in India like three thousand years ago, so there there may be some, but uh, at the heart uh, of you know the compassion. Uh, how to say? Can I like Mita, Mudita, Sedana, and Yuna? That that's the four main four main things that you have to use in your daily life. To you know, that's the that's more of uh, more aligned with teachings of Buddha than uh, having having like you know poem like misogynistic. You know, you know the word Pongshi there and Burmese, yeah. right? Uh, mm-hmm. that yeah, that stuff for me that's more of a tradition. Uh, not not on not on the religion. Maybe 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 some 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 exaggeration from some maybe a word or few or from text. Uh, from Buddhist Buddhism, but personally, I don't think it's on the religion. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I think that there's, and, and that's why I was curious about the, the looking at Burmese Buddhist constructions, because this is looking at not so much what the religion is telling us, but the way that the religion has played out in modern society and culture to be able to, uh, to, to, to make different constructs and different cultural norms than you would find 2,500 years ago in the Buddha's day in India which is normal across any spiritual or religious teachings that spreads. That's the, uh, that's, that's the, the, the human cultural part that takes these teachings and integrates them with the features of their society. And so yeah. what I was curious about in looking at the way that 21st century Burmese Buddhist society has, has adapted those teachings into their lived society and made meaning of it, how, so, so understanding that this is not, um, a pure distillation, uh, of the original teachings of the Buddha, but it's rather an influence or an adaptation of, uh, how they're taking certain parts and interpreting certain parts to fit uh, their own intended contemporary meaning with that in mind, how, uh, how would one begin to understand the idealized form of masculinity and what a man should be uh, within uh, the, the current society? Okay, the, uh, it's like what you mean is the expectation of uh, of masculinity or man from uh, the large majority of society. Is is it? Is yeah. It, is it the, okay. Yeah, it could be characterized that way. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we have. As 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 a Burmese man, yeah, not just a Burmese man. As a man, I think in general, right? You 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 uh you are expected to provide for your uh family, you know, uh, and also in our uh in our tradition, there's like uh, the elders is is like uh the father of the family. So uh when if you are Elders among your brothers and sisters, you have to take care of your youngers and younger brothers, younger sister, uh, plus your family. You know, that's uh, those kind of expectations are uh, are placed upon Burmese men, I think, uh, since young, and yeah, uh, and 
if you can not do it you as you you are seen as a failure and and also uh your you have to uh how do you say uh if you cannot show like uh like a feminine side of your uh of your personality uh now it's changing like maybe during the five to seven years it started to shift and started to change but uh now i'm a, I'm a over 30 years old man so uh all, all half more than half of my life i i experienced this uh uh how to say this expectations from society and and tr trying to live up i'm not saying you shouldn't live up to those uh, uh expectation but uh it's okay to fail some sometimes you know it's it's not your it's not uh, sometimes if you cannot uh if you fail you just fail you have to you the society has to be uh, more forgiving uh, more lovely and sometimes you just make a mistake and you are labeled you you are just seen as a failure through through your whole life that's uh i think that's not okay i think <laughs> um and as a man you are you as i said before the only you have to be the breadwinner of your family and if you are the elders you have to look after your uh, uh your brothers and sisters under you yeah those are the main things that i mm. see and also also uh more of a how to say if you if you but sometimes when you married uh, right you they just do they just uh work do business they just put they just put food on the uh table and then they neglect the whole other responsibilities like feeding your uh wife uh you know having a good marriage uh, building a good uh marriage they 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 just forgot oh if i if i put if i if i walk and put money that that's 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 it you know i don't think in a in a marriage of course if you like oh, make money that's good but there are other responsibilities as well you know uh sometimes uh men are stuck there a uh, burmese man most uh i don't want to say most but yeah a lot of men are just like okay I'm the breadwinner. I I I put food on the table so I can do whatever I like. That's not true, you know. Mm, yeah, that's that's great, and that's it's great to be bringing that sensibility into having these honest conversations, both um, on a podcast as well as behind the scenes and counseling sessions, and and to be helping helping people of all stripes and backgrounds to be able to improve on what they can become. Uh, looking at mental health overall, not just in terms of gender, but uh, part of trying to deal with topics related to mental health is this ability to be honest, to be vulnerable, uh, communicative, open, even perhaps especially with those topics that are uncomfortable or sensitive. What do you find are the dynamics at play when trying to discuss these difficult or painful topics within Burmese culture and society? Um, yeah, they, um, when 
when you come to therapy session or counseling session, I think they are prepared to talk about those things. So I don't see a lot of uh, pushback when the conversation or what they are opening up about leads to those uncomfortable uh, sit, uh, uh, topics. Yeah, they they are open, and when 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 we have this, uh, you know, a safe uh, place to talk, uh, yeah, it's okay. Everybody is like open and can talk about it. Like, uh, if you want to talk about uh, abuse or sex or addiction or whatever, they are open to talk. Uh, yeah, it, because. You do, you don't just you just don't jump into those hard topics in the first session, right? So maybe a few sessions go through. They 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 have a trust in in their uh, counselor or therapist. They, yeah, it's easy to talk about uh, those hard uh, topics. It's not uh, it's not hard at all. Yeah. Mm, that's great. Uh, another division I wonder about is we talked about male, female. What about city versus countryside? Working with people in more urban versus more rural environments. What what are you finding in in the reception and the re- the readiness uh, according to the whether they live in in a more more urban or or rural setting? Um, sadly, more uh, 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 how to say the. People from rural areas need more uh, uh, need uh, mental health care more uh, more than city. I think because uh, in urban area, to be honest, um, uh, when you have uh, when you have uh, how to say a little bit of money or you can have you have uh, spending power, people use that to like uh, use it to have a little bit of. Uh, how to say enjoyment or happiness they they, they 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 can they can distract their miseries but in the rural areas there's there's no way you know to no way they can afford uh distraction or more harsh when you are living in more harsh situ situation more su- circumstances they they seek help but the problem is um uh Okay, how to say they, the the problem is they they seek help, but um, sometimes fees and charges for therapy or counseling sessions are a bit more of a burden for them. They they really want to uh, improve their life, uh, but yeah, uh, we that's why we are trying to give uh, free sessions like every uh, Saturday, every Friday and Saturday. I try to. Uh, get free sessions and um, yeah, I think in rural area because of the current situation, political stuff, they need more uh, help uh, than uh, city areas because, as I mentioned, people who living in city areas, uh, they have they can afford, so they can they can have uh, better quality healthcare, better entertainment, better living standards. So. Uh, they they are like a little more reluctant to come to therapy or counseling sessions, in rural areas, and they they are more uh open and educated on the, on mental health. The, the, yeah, especially uh, the Mandalay, Mandalay from Mandalay Tangji. those areas. Uh, they are more interested in this than 
Yang Long, I think. Hmm, in Yang Long people, really uh, Yang Long, they just they just uh come to like psychiatrists or mental health only when they have like big issues like suicidal mm. thoughts or mm. or you having a serious depression disorder those kind of stuff only then they come oh in mentally and other stuff they uh when they really feel like uh, uh they are more uh, interested in it because uh, uh according to my uh according to my client uh database and also the people interacting from in in uh through our page i see yeah in those those area people are more interested and in, uh, interacting with uh the mental health uh, service providers and you know uh, engagement on facebook also i see like that uh because in Yangon people act like, oh, I'm okay, I'm fine, you know. Uh, that's kind of Yangon style, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. That's really interesting. It's interesting to get your professional background and opinion on uh, on what you're seeing there. And we're, we're talking now about the value of addressing mental health, regardless of uh, background or gender or location, yet you're even beyond this, you're working on mental health issues at a time of real social upheaval and revolution. And so again, we have a bit of a shift in, um, I, guess, I guess actually we could say three different periods of, of recent Myanmar history, just the last few years, the uh, normal, yeah. you can call it the so-called normal times, and then the pandemic, and then the coup. And these are bringing very different challenges of facing mental health and both in terms of the, the issues that are coming up among the people as well as the ways to respond to those issues by the professionals. So looking at the past year since the coup, what do you feel the, the focus needs to be? What are the issues that you're seeing arising from the, uh, the, the people in, in terms of the, the absolute terrors and traumas that they're now dealing with? Mm. Yeah, um, uh, people through uh, uh, most uh, the topics are trauma, grief, and also some kind of uh, some kind of depression. Uh, yeah, widespread depression is maybe uh, going on, but the thing is, in in Myanmar, we don't have uh, research on this uh, on this mental health topic you know not enough research not enough uh, organizations are focusing on it we uh, only private sectors is working on that's that is uh, what I feel how I feel but I don't know maybe they're out there maybe some uh, INGO or NGO uh, organization that they are working on it or other government organization or maybe working on it. But what I feel is uh, there's not enough research uh, and we need to do more research. Like, uh, what are the main issues like, by demographics, by, uh, you know, areas. It, it, that's what I feel. We need, we, we need more data and research. Yeah. If we have hmm. that, we can focus on oh we should we have to wish 
which uh, area is uh, urgent and we have to focus sure. on. And yet, because we don't have enough data, we don't know. Right. Right. And that's, that's a question I was wondering as well. I I've, there've been several mental health professionals and even organizations in the U S that have reached out to me asking what, what they could do in their capacity to help. And I honestly just don't know what to say. The culture and the language are different. The, uh, there's the connections and problems with internet and the, uh, in, in trying to just administer something. And so for, I'm, I'm wondering for you, if there's certain volunteers, mental health professionals in the U S that are looking to support in some way, you're, you're saying now that, that even you don't have a complete idea of the landscape and the needs given the surveys that aren't able to be done for if you were to respond to someone out there, even listening to this, that had a background in mental health and wanted to help. Is there anything that can be done now? Is there any role that professional volunteers could play even with the the imperfect state of knowing what the context is, what the needs are, what the people are going through, uh, what what role could uh, an outside volunteer play right now? Hmm. Uh, outside, you uh, you can uh, uh, you can how to say? Yeah, you can just go to. Uh, that's what what I what we just like what we are doing. We just uh, you just started uh, you just start your own uh, maybe volunteer service uh, organization and started accepting clients and looking uh, talking to them. That's I just have to. I think that's my thing uh, immediate uh, thing uh, thought. But um, yeah, to. To conduct more research and surveys, that's that's the most needed area right now. Other uh, than training, the professionals uh, giving training to the uh, professionals and yeah, other than giving training, research and surveys, uh, I think that's a that that's the most important part. They should focus. Mm, that that could be a possibility. We can talk later about um, some of these professionals if they, uh, what it would look like for them to give some kind of training seminar to to local professionals. I, I think that's a good idea. Uh, how about the NUG, the National Unity Government? Is there anything that they're doing that's addressing the mental health needs? Yeah, yeah, they have they have hotlines and stuff. Yeah, I I've seen it. I don't I don't uh, uh, I I don't remember the, what's the name the. It's some kind of under uh, health or maybe woman uh, on, uh, ministry or the two ministry combine and have a hotline. Yeah, they are they are also doing something uh, on the on the on that front. Yeah, this uh, mental health and psychosocial uh, support network. Uh, yeah, that is uh, they have office here before but i don't know they still have it or not yeah it's it's a was that by un yeah yeah so yeah this is uh unfea have this uh this uh mental health 
psychosocial support network uh, they uh, that, that that is led by UNFBA program mm. uh, yeah that that is something you can check on looking at the PDF specifically the those that are in the people's defense force I'm sure that they're facing a certain amount of conflict and trauma and difficulty beyond the normal human experience have have you connected with anyone that has joined the PDFs and do you have any sense of what kind of mental health issues they're facing and what support they need um okay no, not from PDF but I have um Okay, uh, I have someone from the other side that defected, so that mm. is more interesting. Uh, PDF, uh, like uh, I, my other, uh, uh, other friends, other counselor friends, they have uh, clients, but I, I, I don't really know. But what I experienced, what I had was uh, someone that defected uh, from uh, Tamarol. Yeah. Oh, uh, that, and that what's is, up? Yeah, that is more interesting because uh, I'm more interested in the other side. The, the uh, our side, I I know what I can guess. You know what they are going through. They, they you know, uh, but talking to someone from the uh, from what you call the your enemy or your the other side, it's more interesting and and yeah, it's yeah. more challenge. It's more challenging for a counselor because. I can't hold any judgment, or I can't hold any, you know, uh, any judgment on him because I have to be very open when when we go into sessions. You know, that's uh, that's very that's a very uh, how to say interesting experience for me. So, what did you learn in talking to him? Uh, I learned about. Um, more on the uh, for how how the institution works and yeah that institution is very sad inside yeah that's very sad uh, well, for me it's very sad because they they are built upon uh, fear and uh, they are built upon fear and ex- Exploiting your insecurity. That's uh, and also, I, uh, yeah, it's like uh, they are they are purposely uh, making a circle of violence, you know, inside their own institution. Yeah, violence, fears, insecurities. So that uh, that kind of institution. They are based. And they are not based on you know trust. They are not based on love, or they are not based on compassion or anything. They are just based on violence, fears, and insecurity all around. So, yeah, it's very sad. So, how hard was it for you as a mental health professional to look at? These So you're dealing with a client who had grown up and been formed, had been shaped uh, emotionally, mentally, psychologically from these intentionally destructive forces. And you're trying to, first of all, understand them and then try to, you know, reverse the process and bring him out of that, that, uh, that, that destructive mindset that he's been led to be in. So as a professional, how did you go about trying to firstly understand 
the dynamics he was operating in and then try to bring them out to some kind of daylight, tr- daylight try to reverse the processes and effects of what he would of these mental conditions he'd been taught to live under um first you have to uh like as a con- as a counselor you have to be very open and you have to uh, give him space you know uh and try to show that oh it's sometimes it's uh, okay to uh how do you say it? try to show that there are people that uh, understand him or, you know, and not on his side as like an ideology or whatever, but, you know, emotionally, uh, I support you and, you know, uh, that kind of stuff, you know. First, you have to uh, understand and hold him in a place where he is not judged and and then you, from that place, you try to uh, give him examples of you know uh, how to uh, how to treat people with uh, compassion because uh, you know since joining the training school and stuff uh, they are their life is um, is uh, just like I said before is never ending violence and fears you know. And how to say, backstabbing, all those kind of bad stuff, you know. Um, so uh, you just have to uh, show him there's uh, some good uh, out there because he he uh, he or she doesn't uh, haven't experienced uh, those emotions or those uh, those feelings in a very long time. So you have to. Uh, what we call is reparenting in, you know, uh, counseling. That's that's the that's the way I took with him. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 great to hear. That's also quite challenging to just to hear about the uh, the pain and the trauma that someone has been intentionally put under, and it also gives insight into you know what we're finding overall in the country and what they're how they're being trained and then how they're responding with the Tamada in general, how they're responding in this conflict of trying to instill the whole country in that kind of violent thinking and destructive patterns. Uh, I know that you've also been concerned about, not just about where we're at now in Burmese society, but where we're going to go after assuming that there's victory and that a new, uh, and that the democratic movement is able to win that what the new Myanmar is going to look like. And, looking beyond that point, looking beyond the point that we are now, it, assuming that the the democratic democratic movement is successful, what do you think needs to happen with mental health issues? How, what kinds of issues do you think are going to be there to be treated and resolved? And what, uh, what infrastructure needs to be set up to, to be able to uh, not just administer support from what people have suffered with, with the pandemic and, and the coup, but also with the, uh, prior to that, uh, some of the, um, the overall issues that you find within society that, that need to be treated and administered. Uh, on partic- uh, on mental health, particularly, I think the stigma needs to, we, 
the that's the work of the professionals uh from the side of professional we need to uh fight off the stigma uh, that has been in the society for a long time like oh if you seek help you are crazy or if you seek help you are mm -hmm. weak that's not we have to uh we have to uh get rid of the stigma that's that i think that's really important and also the second thing is we need to have more research more data more surveys those kind of stuff you know? uh without those stuff I, for as a citizen i don't even know what's the suicide rate in in my country don't you think it's crazy yeah you know? yeah yeah Hmm. Um, so moving on, I want to talk about a related topic and, and this is the, the final subject to look at in this interview. You've brought it up a couple times already, but look at it a bit in depth. And that's a background of Buddhist teachings in Myanmar, meditation specifically. So before getting into that, I just want to know, personally speaking, what is your own background with Buddhism and with meditation? And if you've, uh, you have a meditation practice, what, what different traditions or, or teachers have you learned? that from um first my teacher in meditation is my grandmother hmm. uh, oh she, nice yeah yeah i think i was like six seven she teach me how to like you know, just focus on your breath you know that's that's the basic uh, that we uh that that i've been taught uh, since i was young and and later, I not very long ago, like maybe two years ago, I find the uh, vipassana, vipassana, you know, uh, looking at your body, and, you know, uh, like focusing more on your body, and, and then I find mindfulness. Uh, yeah, mindfulness is more, uh, more. Uh, I I prefer mindfulness meditation uh, than just focusing on your on your breath you know mindfulness is a little bit more different um, but traditionally i think mindfulness is called is what what is called is study but uh, maybe i'm wrong i i'm not sure but what i feel is a mindfulness meditation is similar or same to study but what has traditional buddhist would call so yeah uh, it's it's more of like you just aware of what you are doing uh, every time uh, that's 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 what i uh, that's what i that's my um interpretation of mindfulness you just have to be aware of uh how every time uh like in every second you have to be aware of your like your hands movement your your thing your feelings what you're thinking you know how you how you're moving uh what are you saying you know those you you just have to be that's 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 why i prefer mindfulness my background uh not much i'm traditional buddhist i read a lot of buddhist uh you know more of like myths and legends like stories when i was young uh, after that yeah i moved into the practical parts of buddhism like how to meditate how to uh, and also, I'm interested in learning about uh, what we call a beta bond. I don't know what it, uh, it will be called in English. 
I'm all I'm also interested in that part too because uh, it teaches you about your mind. You know, there's a uh, that's that's uh, a bit of mind is more of Buddhist psychology. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't don't. <laughs> I'm, uh, it's I know what I believe, and I don't want to like. Uh, if I say too much, maybe I sound wrong, and people will be <laughs> like, "Okay, he's spreading misinformation about <laughs> Buddhism." Uh, <the laughs> so, for me personally, this is just my personal opinion, and uh, I may be wrong. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, what I like is um uh, those thing uh the Mieta Guna Sedana movie that that's uh that's Yamazo de Aleba. That's that's what I more uh, grab, uh attracted to now these days because as you as you as a mental health pro, uh, professional also those things are more practical when you are dealing with clients or whoever you know if you have compassion love and uh you know sedana and movie what those kind of things it's more practical than Uh, yeah, meditation is good for you. It's more like your personal uh, spiritual journey. But uh, the thing I mentioned, the Biomazuti Aliba, is like how you how you should treat everyone. Uh, so nowadays, I use uh, for my personal uh, spiritual journey. I I do mindfulness meditation and. Dealing with outside wall, I I use that Bimazuti uh, Aliba. That's that. Yeah, that's that's how I'm going through this uh, uh, this period of my life right now. Yeah. Right, right. So you mentioned uh, just to to unpack a couple words. You uh, the the Burmese um, pronunciation vipassana for listeners that are meditators. Vipassana is what what was that? What was what's the Burmese pronunciation again? Adipata. Right, yeah. right. So for for those foreign meditators, just to to unpack that sadi patano is a is is how they'll know that. So uh, insight meditation, it's also called, and you 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 reference moving on from just observing the breath to uh, this insight vipassana method. According to the sadi patana, this is one of the the suttas of the Buddha. Uh, is there a particular tradition or lineage you follow, like Mahasi or Mogok or Goenka or or, or something else? Yeah, or where have well, you learned this? More of a Mahasi way, I think, more aligned with because um, I I I get teachings from different sources, you know. Uh, first, uh, how to say uh, when we samatha uh, when you when you are doing samatha, uh, you uh, you try to have more tamadi uh, when 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 you while you are focusing on your breath, it's more of a tamatha uh, samatha way, I think. And then vipassana uh, way is more gentle and more how to say it's more overall overall yeah I think I that's what I feel it's like a more generalized and more complete not complete but it's like you look it's like a bird bird eyes view maybe I'm wrong but I'm not <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I feel like. When you are trying to con just focus on your breath, when you have the 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 willpower, 
to just focus on your breath, and when you and you move it to other parts of your body, you will uh, you will explore more. I think, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what that's is more aligned with Mahasi. I think because uh, now I do now what I do is I focus on on my uh, let's say this uh, on my on my stomach. When you breathe in, you follow the the whole breath and when you feel your lungs grow your stomach expand you know and when you breathe out the whole things uh move again that that's that's uh, that's more of like a mahasi way i think yeah hmm, right so that's so you've been kind of self-taught with that and being able to explore the the um there, there, there's so many teachers and traditions with all kinds of literature yeah. that, that yeah that i learn. read books uh and i ask uh i when i uh when i go into monkhood i ask uh the the theados from the monastery and they also teach me uh, yeah i i read books i read online every i try to learn uh, <laughs> if, yeah Mm, that's because, great. That's great. Uh, because mm, most of the uh, the I have a lot of other uh, other friends that practice meditation. They my one of my friend he go to Paal, he go to Mahasi, he go to every meditation center, and yeah, the, also from him I learn a lot. I ask him, you know, okay, he explain okay. This is power way. This is uh, this is Mahasi way. This is so known way. You know, right? But yeah, yeah, and also from books as well. Yeah. Mm. And how about this relationship between meditation and mental health? You referenced this a bit before, and I think that in uh, what's interesting to me is that in the West, you you've heard this talked about for some time. Psycholo- psychologists and psychiatrists that have been exploring how meditation can play a role in some of the mental health practices they were administering in a professional context, I feel like you might be looking at this from the opposite point of view, whereas they might be coming with um, mental health issues first and where meditation fits in, uh, being you living in a society where meditation and, and Buddhist thinking is much more the norm and mental health is more of a, a new consideration and understanding coming, which is the opposite of what we find in the West, you're looking at this relationship similarly, but perhaps from a different starting point. So where, where do you find the intersection between mental health and Buddhist meditation? Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, um, what I think is, uh, I grew up with, uh, as you mentioned, uh, in a Buddhist society, I, I also have, uh, Thanks to my uh, grandma, and I read a lot of Buddhist uh, books since I was young. What I find is all uh, every you know psychology or at the end, it's just all uh, all uh, what they are saying from Western you know uh, psycho- psychology the subject. Everything has said in. Buddhist uh, Buddhism for so many years, you know, it's it's just repackaging the same. Uh, that's what I feel like, you know. Oh, okay, this is how they communicated this idea. This this is how they package psychology package the same concept in different way, different language, different 
you know, uh, types of uh, words and whatever. But the concept um, nearly identical for me is, you know, like uh, uh, because now, like, oh, you when you try to find happiness uh, in your life, you know, you have to be very you you have to be compassionate. You have to uh, give up love. Uh, you, you know, those type of stuff are already in uh, Buddhism. And also, oh, if you want to find peace, you have to look inside, uh, and you have to. All those things are all always. Uh, Buddha always uh, teach to look inside you to find answers. Psychology also say that way. You have to. Oh, you have to. All your all your behaviors, uh, are. Your internalized thinking, you know. So if you look into yourself and deep deeper, uh, dig deeper into yourself, you 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 will find. Oh, this is hurting me. This is, uh, oh this, this event was uh what caused my trauma, and that's why my behavior is, uh, in a certain way right now. Those, if you meditate, you 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 will have these, ex uh, thoughts and experience. If you just meditate, also because uh, at the end of the day, meditation is also looking inside. When therapies, uh, therapists, and counselor try to help uh, clients, you have to look inside. It's uh, it's the same thing for me. Yeah. Mm, right. Another thing I wonder about that, looking kind of these different perspectives of looking in or looking out, is that as Buddhist meditation has come to the West, there's there's been uh, quite a discussion about the, on one hand, the meditation practices being something that's therapeutic, that's universal, that is just simply mind-body connection, and in, in, in many ways is is rejecting the, or or perhaps repurposing the understanding of Buddhism as not a religion, but as a a kind of yoga, a good practice for the mind and body. And some in in the academic field, this has been known as kind of modern Buddhism or Protestant Buddhism that has been repurposed it. And there, I think there are many practitioners that would call themselves, um, they might call themselves secular Buddhists or Buddhist atheists, or they might differentiate that they, they are a passionate meditator, but they are not a Buddhist, or they follow the teachings, but they're not involved in the Buddhist religion. Uh, as someone who was raised Buddhist and where the, the, um, uh, the, the the practice that you underwent in meditation was part of a more holistic understanding of of this um, totality of the Buddhist teachings. With we could use the word religion or not, but what, what's your thought on how that's being kind of separated and carved out, or repurposed, or used for um, used uh, as a as a separate function or activity, or even in combination with mental health? Do you see this as something that is going along with overall teachings and religion, or do you do you see it as do you see Buddhist meditation as a as a separate practice, which can really just be taken out and then applied over a wide variety of different contexts and, and audiences? What's your thought about that? Uh, okay. Um, if you practice meditation uh, long enough, you will see the same things and you will become a 
hold it. That's maybe uh, mm. that's why I, that's how I feel like it. You know, uh, you will understand why. Uh, if you don't know any of the Buddhist texts or Buddhist scriptures or Buddhist teaching, and you practice meditation, maybe you take matter from like uh, going out or Smahasi, and you just practice this. Uh, what a big part of Buddhism, and you just practice meditation, and you don't need to know uh, a lot about uh, the the how do you say? Uh, once you uh, the sila or uh, the sila, you have to uh, you have to abide by when you become a monk. Oh, the, I don't think those are necessary for you to uh, practice meditation and gain benefit from it. But if you practice long enough and you 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 go on that journey, and you at a certain point you will become Buddhist. That's how I feel like. Even though you are not part of the religion or the, the religion institution of Buddhism. You, you will become a follower of Buddha. That's that's what I feel like. Yeah. Uh, what I want to do, uh, do is um, do uh, Myanmar and the Burmese people need uh as much support as other people around the world who are being oppressed. You know, uh, mm. that's that's why I want to. Share to the international community and who are living, uh, who are maybe, uh, maybe uh, different, uh, who who speaks, uh, who doesn't speak Burmese and who are not from Myanmar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need as much support as other, other, other people who are being oppressed, like Palestinians, Ukraine. Yeah. We need as much same support. That's what I want to say. I don't want to like blame mm. or point fingers, but mm. yeah, yes. <laughs> I I don't mind blaming and pointing fingers. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, um, I I think that uh, I, it's an open question. Why is this being ignored? And and not certainly not by everyone, but um, you know, there. This is such a remarkable moment of an entire young generation leading the way and the rest of the country following that is bringing out such progressive values and espousing democratic principles that the world over, uh, at least the democratic world, is supposedly in support of. And the level of, uh, of, of support and, uh, and engagement and um, and and the role that some of these bigger international bodies have played have just been uh, absolutely shameful, you know. And uh, and I don't know why that is, and it's so frustrating. And I think when we look at the parallel situations in Ukraine, and I understand Ukraine is is really not a parallel story. This is a uh, Russia is a, a much bigger. 
danger to the world's stability than than the generals are. This is um, not a civil war or a military takeover. This is actually a an invasion of, of one sovereign power. So there and there's many other things. So I understand that these situations are not exactly the same and they can't be compared yeah. similarly. At the same time, there's this outpouring of international support just from celebrities, from people on the ground, from uh, humanitarian assistance, uh, people that are offering to help with medicine or, or, or defense or any number of things that simply like we, we've never seen in Myanmar. And it, it's, it's frankly devastating. And I think that these, uh, e- although the, the situations are not equal and we have to keep saying that at the same time, the, the solidarity of the world that's shown towards Ukrainians is, um, and, and how Myanmar has just all but been forgotten, I think has to be examined. And I think that, uh, I, I think that skin color has got to play a role. I think that because there's, um, Ukrainians, uh, have, the right color of skin as people, as, as those, um, uh, those in Western countries that, that yeah. they can identify with and that they see. And that, that simply because, um, there's, there's a different skin color in, um, what has been going on in Myanmar. I think that it's somehow less of a consciousness. I think that racism has to be playing a role in why this support is not being there. I think perhaps as well, there's a sense that I think people don't really know Myanmar's history that well. And, and, um, and so the, the average person doesn't necessarily understand the democratic transition and the, the, the struggles for democracy. And I think there could just be a sense of like, oh yeah, that Myanmar isn't that a place where bad things happen and okay, bad mm-hmm. things are continuing to happen. And, and so um, nothing new here, you know, this is just kind of an unfortunate part of the world. And that's where the, the podcasts that we're doing are, are trying to break down that narrative and show more of the dynamic history and, and what the democratic movement is doing and, and to inform on a greater level. Because I think that, uh, that, that for those who haven't been to certain parts of the world and don't know people from those worlds and aren't familiar with the people or the the history, that it can just be a sense of like, oh yeah, the, you know, things are things are often bad there and they're bad there now. So you know, that's that's really bad and 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 it's um, I'm sorry to hear, but um, move on with one's life. Whereas with Ukraine, it really shake shakes one up and it it uh, uh, there's there's just a level of support and a measure of solidarity we haven't seen, but you know, regardless of the reason why, it's absolutely devastating. And I, and I don't understand it. And the some of the things that Burmese have been asking for for so long, some of the levels of support that still haven't come, they came within hours with Ukraine. And my only hope is that somehow the democratic movement in Myanmar can find a way to carry itself on the coattails of the support for Ukraine. This is not a competition. This is not, um, there's not yeah. a, a jealousy. And, and certainly Ukrainians are going through absolute hell. It's no one wishes upon anyone what they're going through and any measure of support and solidarity with them is so important. We definitely stand by them and their sovereignty and their democratic movement. And, and there's, there's no sense of proclaiming the otherwise it's, it's more that, uh, the, the, the support that they're receiving, why are we not receiving it in Myanmar and what can we do to try to follow up with, with what's been successful for them and try to raise the awareness, the attention, the support, the aid that can come here as well and see this as, 
as uh, as happening in humanity that this is um, that whatever the skin color, whatever the geography, if you really look into this, this these are a people that are are shouting and, and trying to claim their democracy and their rights, and the world can't simply stand by and let these go into silence. That there is there are actions that we can do on an individual or a wider level that that need to be done. So I think that yeah, I have no problem pointing fingers and um, <laughs> and calling out blame for the more things that could be done than aren't happening. Yeah, that's um, I. What I'm afraid is when you have this. Uh, how to say? It, there's principles, and you know that that you support certain values, certain principle, and like say we have uh, we all, all all the Burmese people are asking uh, support uh, believe in the democratic process, the democrat the. Uh, the values of human rights, but uh, when you are not uh, receive the same uh, reaction or support or whatever, uh, people might turn cynical. You know, that's what I uh, that's what I'm afraid. Uh, people will get cynical and oh, these are just words. Then, then what what to do? Mm, yeah, that's that's where we're at now. What to do? <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. If you then people will be more cynical, and they will, and our country will be more, uh, more of a cesspool than right now. Mm. Well, let's hope that's not the case. Let's hope that this uh, conversations like these in some small way bring an awareness and, and a focus to what's going on and people like you and so many others that are that are doing what they can to, to spread the word and to not, this is not 1988, it's not 2007. This is, this is a completely different moment that is building on and culminating from those other moments. And, and it's an important time. And, and yeah. And, and, and the thing is that the, the military is representing the they are using this uh, very, uh, how to say, very Buddhism, which is very peaceful and which is very, yeah. uh, very therapeutic. Whatever, it's very. Uh, this is a very peaceful religion, and they are making it seems like a violent one. Uh, that's 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 really crazy, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and if if. If if this stick if the if this stick is it will harm the uh, you know the the Buddhism uh, yeah yeah it it will ha- it will put a bad name on Buddhism that's really bad well it already has yeah yeah that's that's really sad and it's not cool. <laughs> no 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 it's not and it's 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 all it's um no it, it's um. This is already something that has to be contended with, and you know, I was when when this whole thing started in the 2010s. I was working on a a guidebook for meditators for foreign practitioners coming to practice in different traditions in Myanmar, and so I was kind of immersed in the recent history of Burmese Buddhism of like Ledi Sayadaw and and mm. Mogok and Mahasi and Sunlun and telling these stories and and just trying to understand who these 
teachers were and what they taught and what their lives were, just this historical kind of appreciation for meditators who wanted to go and visit some of the historic sites of, you know, where did where was Lady Sayada born and where did Webu Sayada reach enlightenment and, you know, where yeah. did Mahasi Sayada have his first teachings and just visiting these places and trying to, to, to find these physical locations and then tell the stories with them. And as I was doing this, the this is when the Rohingya crisis broke out and when Mabatha and 969. And yeah. I, I actually wasn't really following or aware of what was happening because I was so much more living in the past and I was in rural Burmese monasteries at the time researching those places. And it, it was just interesting and tragic for me that my the stories I was telling were the same. They were anecdotes about the lives of these great monks, Lady and Mogok and Mahasi and Sunlun and et cetera. And, and, and this, I was telling the same stories and yet they were over the course of months and years, they were being received differently. So, uh, whereas before they were being received as, as, uh, from a general audience of like, oh, this is this, this beautiful tradition of monkhood and renunciation and peace. And these are these, these former practitioners who taught these values and how wonderful this is. The comments started to shift to like, well, um, what, what, uh, you know, this, this kind of, these kind of stories you're telling, they're this kind of fantasy world and they're separated from, you know, what Buddhism really is and what the monkhood's actually doing. And, and there's this, this kind of divergence between what these, these beautiful saintly stories that you're telling and, and how the, and, and the way that, um, the different monks are actually today are, are causing these kind of problems and harm to the world and to peoples. And, and it was so confusing for me because I wasn't really following the stories at the time because I was more immersed in the research. And yet, even though the stories I was telling was the same because of the current situation, they were just being received and understood completely differently. So, you know, in real time in front of my eyes, I was seeing how these beautiful stories and dynamicism that was to be told were being polluted, soiled, corrupted by the current practices. So, you know, it really has already stained the name of Buddhism and Burmese Buddhism and the Sangha. Um, things change. Uh, this, this, this script and this narrative can be changed again. Uh, so it's not like this is, um, this is just a, uh, a state that we have to accept being in, but, uh, permanently, but, but it is a state that, 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 uh, it is a characterization that I think does apply today. And unfortunately. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very sad. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, all right. So thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. I realize that this is an enormously difficult time for many people who love Myanmar these days, myself included, and at times we might despair that there's anything at all we can do to stop the horrors unfolding there. However, just the mere fact of staying informed is helping to bear continued witness and keep a focus on this issue when much of the international media has moved on. And the only way that we can do our part in continuing to provide this content is through the support of generous donors, listeners like yourselves. If you found this episode of value and would like to see more shows like it, please consider making a donation to support our efforts. Both monthly pledges or one-time donations are equally appreciated. Thank you deeply in advance. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go to support a wide range of humanitarian missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. 
Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person, IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies, COVID relief, and much more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution for a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian aid work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A.org and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit cards. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either the Insight Myanmar or Better Burma websites for specific links to those respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. If you'd like to give in another way, please contact us. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Mm-hmm.